Well, as Taylor mentioned at the beginning of the service, this is going to be a little bit different conversation than we normally have in church, and I trust that it will be useful for you, especially when it comes to understanding the news and living in a world that is broken in so many ways. But we're three quarters of the way through a series that we're calling Ask, which is questions that you have submitted, and it's questions that we have about the news, really. And the one that we're asking today, in particular, is, is simply, who is next? Now, who is next with no context doesn't make any sense, really. But the reason that this got called Who is Next is that oh, three months ago or so, when we began thinking about the possibilities of having a series that addressed these difficult questions, there was really day by day awful accusations that came out about Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer and on and on and on. And it would, you know, the the best way to sum up the questions we received on the topic was just, well, who's next? And I, I mean, as an adult, I've never seen anything like this where the news is so entirely inescapable about this topic. I, I think it's worth us talking about because we can't avoid it. In fact, this morning I got up early uh, in the morning as I do every Sunday morning to, to pray for you and pray for the message and pray for the day. And a news article with this picture was the first thing. I opened my iPad where I keep my prayer list, where I read my Bible... And this picture was, uh, I mean, it was a notification on my thing. You don't know, anybody know this woman? Good. I didn't either. Okay. Her name is Tammy Murphy. Now, you don't know her husband either. He's the governor of uh, New Jersey. And news thing that came out just this morning, first thing I saw today, was that she told her story about uh, being abused as she walked across campus when she was in college. And I was thinking, I don't need to hear another story. I don't want to hear another story. This has been, this has been really the most awful preparation that I've ever had to do for a message, I think. And I thought, <laughs> in my naivete, last fall when we were working on this, that we might be you know, kind of through this when I got time to talk about it. And we're not. And we probably won't be for the foreseeable future. And so, as we ask the question, you know, who's next? It really is important that I try and be clear about what I'm talking about this morning. Let me say, let me say one other thing as I'm trying to be clear. I'm, I'm not going to say as much as some of you think I should say. I'm probably going to say more than some of you think I should say. The other thing that I want to add is that next week, we're dealing with another facet of this same problem, asking about the Me Too crisis. So, if you can imagine asking who's next without talking about Me Too, I'm going to try and do that this morning. And so, what I'm talking about this morning is not so much the 
the effect of the sexual brokenness on those who are wounded and those who are, have been hurt and misused. But rather, I'm talking about abuse by people in power. This is, to, this morning is mostly about men exerting, uh, mostly men exerting their power to get sexual favors or some other privilege. And it's so devastating because it is abuse compounded by sexual immorality. There, it, it's, it's, it's just almost unimaginable. And so we're talking about, and this is why it's in the news. This is what people are reacting to is this abuse of power and position and privilege and strength and authority. And that's why it's everywhere from sports to politics to entertainment to you name it. And so, what in the world do we do with that? What does the church of Jesus Christ do in a world that is flavored uh, with this? And what, I, what I'm going to try and do this morning uh, is to give, again, an overview of God's story. To give you some uh, essentially movements in the story of God with respect to power. With respect to authority. So that you understand how did things get broken like they are. And then close with hopefully some practical things that you can take away, that you as parents can take away, that you as young people can take away, that will be helpful in managing the brokenness around us. Uh, so, God's story has four movements, and hopefully by the time we're finished with this series of messages, you'll be able to, to get these movements from uh, your own memory, and I think that that will help you as you try and place these things, uh, place the 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 events of the news in the context of God's story. But the first thing that we believe about God is He created everything. And He made it perfect. He made it as He wanted it to be. And that uh, the, the way that human life is to exist is the way that God created it in the beginning. And so you have this in the, in the very start of it. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion. One of the things that he built right into the very beginning of human existence was the idea that human beings will be his image and they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock, uh, and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's part of what it meant to be the image of God. And so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. And so we're, we hold a couple things here from the image of God. I mean, one is the, the value of human life or the sanctity of human life. So that uh, the, uh, the belief that children are uh, sacred, their lives before they're born, after they're born, when they're growing up, when they're old, all of human life is sacred because it's made in God's image. 
The other thing that's very clearly here in this text is that male and female are created in the image of God. And in that regard, are on level footing before God so that there is value, equal value for both genders. And so we see in the creation that God intended male and female to represent Him in this world, to bear His image, to act in His stead in the world, which was a position of power and authority. He blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Now, there are a lot of other things you could talk about from here uh, with regard to the care of creation, with regard to you know, animals, with regard to all sorts of stewardship sorts of things that we are entrusted with. But our focus today is really on what it means for God to have made human beings in His image, male and female, and invested them with power. Invested them with responsibility. Enabled them to subdue the world and have dominion. And that's part of, that's part of human existence. To eradicate that is not the answer. Because part of, that's part of what it means to be human. Well, you know, the second movement in God's story follows closely on the first. Wish that the first one was really long. Wish I was still there in the first movement. But I'm not. I find myself here in the second movement that we call the fall, which is when uh, Adam and Eve, as representative of all human beings, decided to rebel against God, to throw off His authority and exert their own power decide for themselves that they wanted to be like God. That being His mere representative wasn't enough. That they instead were going to take hold of uh, what they could anyway uh, about God's own life and power. And as you know, tempter came, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and sin entered the world. And as soon as it did, then, uh, there was uh, a curse. God cursed the serpent. God cursed uh, the woman. God cursed the, the man. And as a result of sin, it is the curse of sin. And what happened with that is that all of a sudden, the, the, <laughs> the balance of power shifted. It was no longer what it should be. The earth itself would now rebel against the human beings whose job it was to cultivate it. That it would no longer happen, you might say, effortlessly or in a perfect situation. There would be thorns, there would be uh, mosquitoes, there would be all sorts of things that made the life in the field unpleasant. And there was a, uh, a turn in the power that God had uh, delegated to human beings to exercise dominion on the earth. There was also a shift in the balance of power within the relationship in human beings. So the woman, he said, I'm surely going to multiply 
your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And there is, I think, in this implicit that there would be conflict in uh, marriage relationships, that there would be uh, that there would be uh, conflict and oppression between genders. And part of the brokenness in this world is that men and women do not relate to one another as they should. And so, uh, I don't, I don't like it. I wish it were otherwise. But as I understand the situation I'm in, I understand that part of what broke when sin happened was this relationship between men and women. And so, you know, it doesn't take very long for uh, abuse to take place, and Cain abused Abel and killed him. It doesn't take long. Uh, I mean, you read the book of Genesis, you see all sorts of um, sexual abuse. You see, I mean, it, it's awful. I decided I didn't want to read to you Bible stories this morning because really in this context, so many of them involve the uh, abuse of power between uh, someone and slave girls or uh, other women. And it really, there's, there is a lot that, is, that the Bible represents is broken. And it's not then a surprise that as we continue through human existence that this this breakdown continues. That this, um, that this abuse of uh, people continues. And, you know, as we talk about the story of salvation, I mean, there, we talk about it mostly in terms of, uh, of God, where God created people to be in the right relationship with Him. And when they sinned, they, they broke that relationship with God. And, and, and so what God did is God sent His own Son to be a Redeemer and to, to draw us back to God and reconcile us to God. And we think mostly in terms of the story of God with respect to a relationship with God. So that in the end, in heaven, we are finally in relationship with Him. And so this whole movement has to do with a relationship with God, but it has implications for a relationship with other people, as I'm trying to show the relationship between other people uh, was as it should be in the Garden of Eden. And the relationship with other people broke when sin entered the world. And when God sent His Son into this world to reconcile us to God, He also, he also reconciles us to one another. And Jesus, as He comes into this world to be the Redeemer... He not only reconciles us to God, but He is bringing about a reorganization of human relationships that we call the church. He calls His kingdom. And it adjusts the way that power uh, is used surrounding people. I mean, here is, here is His manifesto. Okay? Jesus' kingdom manifesto, you might say, is in the um, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, I want you to hear this when you're thinking of, 
of abuse of power, when you're thinking of using other people. And you'll realize this is what is what is important to Jesus here is just the opposite. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I mean, Jesus here in Matthew, I mean, this five chapters, not even five chapters, four chapters into His story, into the, into the introduction to Jesus, and He's saying, this is the way I want My kingdom to be. I want people to be meek and merciful. I want them to be peacemakers. I want them to be, I want them to be blessed because they mourn and they hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, just at the very beginning, you get this impression that Jesus is turning this brokenness, uh, some might say, right side up again. He sat down and called the twelve in Mark chapter 9 and said to them, anyone who would be first must be the last of all and the servant of all. Mark chapter 10, he does the same thing again. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lord it over them. Okay, now this is, you know, this is where you see the headlines. Threats and harassment and abuse. The great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus, um, but it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And so you see what is important to Jesus turning right side up again. And it's not really about power, it's about, this, it's about the stewardship of uh, serving. And so, <clears throat> he culminates this by saying, even the Son of Man, Jesus says, I Myself came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And, I mean, this is just the opposite of what you read in the news. Just the opposite of what we understand to be uh, the problem. And he continues. There was all, I mean, his disciples didn't get it. People didn't, which means, right? People in church don't get this. This is why we're talking about it this morning. Make sure that we do get it and that we are following Jesus, not following the ways of the world. The argument arose among the disciples as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is the greatest. And so, whatever Jesus did, And uh, Jesus did a lot. Jesus is turning right side up 
the balance of power. He is saying what matters to Him are the least of these. What matters to Him are those who serve. And so, uh, His kingdom that Jesus is bringing not only redeems us and reconciles us to God, but it makes a different kind of humanity inside all of humanity that is um, humble and is lowly, is meek, um, is poor in spirit. And all of these things are, are really what's at the heart of, well, they're the opposite, shall I say, of this abuse. Then we get to the, the final movement, really where, you know, in thinking in terms of, of God, where we start off with a great relationship with God, break it by sin, God sends Jesus to reconcile us to Himself, and then we spend eternity with Him in heaven. Okay, That's how it looks re- relate when it's related to God. But when it's related to power and related to other people, that also is being set right by God. After the resurrection of Jesus, this final chapter has been inaugurated. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. That He is the source of all authority and power. And He says it again in, Roman, in Revelation 19, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God and His judgments are true and just. One of the things that we believe about this is that no one's getting away with anything. And it isn't just it isn't just they're losing their jobs. It isn't just that their names are being you know, dragged through the mud in the newspapers. It's that God Himself will judge the guilty. And all power belongs to Him and His judgments are true and just. There's a great scene in Revelation 21 that talks about the new heaven and new earth and God being with them and uh, He's their God and there is people and there is this wonderful relationship with God. And then, right after that, the verse we mostly skip, says, but for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and the liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with, lake that burns with sulfur and fire which is the second death. In other words, be certain that God will judge. He'll judge rightly and He'll judge severely. And so our great hope uh, is not just that someone gets theirs now, but our great hope is that they will get theirs one day. And It's not right enough that someone loses their job. It's not right enough that someone is, uh, you know, blackballed or whatever. There's all sorts of problems with all of those things, but one day our hope is that God will make things right. And so, in the end, in the story of God, we're trusting that God will make things right one day. That no longer than when we are in heaven with Him, will there be anything accursed? (laughs) The curse, remember, 
was this brokenness and this balance of power. This brokenness in human relationships, this, this curse on the ground, this, all of this is done away with. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship Him. And night will be no more. There will be no more light or lamp or sun. For the Lord their God will be their light and they'll reign forever and ever. And human beings created in God's image to have dominion and to subdue it will one day then with Him in heaven reign together and He will make it as He intended it to be with respect to human power. And so that's kind of where I would place this topic in the, this, in the scope of God's story. In the, in the hope of Christians is that God is redeeming uh, people and changing them with respect to their relationships with one another. And that's you know, that's good. I hope you expected me to say that. I hope you expected me to tell you the, God, the good news of the story of God reminding you that if you trust Jesus to be your Savior, you can be reconciled to God. But I hope you also heard that what that does is reconcile you to other people. Make, it changes what you value. Changes how you relate to other people. And even as it does, that's all fine, right? Because that's just, that's God's story. And it gives us hope for the future that He will make everything right one day. But what do we do until that day? What about right now when, when we wake up tomorrow morning and there's another news article uh, on our news feed? What are we going to do when we are faced with Abuse again. I have just some things to offer you in hopes that this will help you be be safe and be proactive about uh, keeping uh, this from affecting you or your family, if possible. Uh, The the first thing I'm going to say is is related to what I said so far, and that is keep the church distinct. The, The most one of the most painful things for me in the preparation of this message has been uh, hearing what has happened in other parts of our country with pastors when they were youth pastors as teenagers, and it was, it's been awful. And what is so egregious about that is that it is so contrary to what I've tried to point out is God's intent. The place that should be safe is not safe. And um, our, I mean, here's, here's what Paul says about this topic. 1 Corinthians 5, there was, there was someone, he said, there, there's immorality among you that is not even uh, accepted in the world. It's talking about the church. The church is proud of, of harboring people under the name of grace, Right? that are uh, doing things that are unacceptable in the world. And then he says, but now I'm writing to you, this is kind of how he sums it up, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. His issue is, is not those outside, but those inside. 
If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or or an idolater or a reviler, a reviler. When you when you um, read about revilers in the Bible, those are abusers. They're an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what uh, have I to do with judging outsiders? See, one of the one of the things that's really tempting is to get all to you know we talked about polarization last week is to be all fired up about the you know those people. When God is saying, take care of the church here inside the church, is it not those that you're supposed to judge? God judges those outside. We've already talked about that too. Purge the evil, evil person from among you. That God's standard inside the church here is that it's a safe place. I mean. One of the most difficult things that we do is is we try and have a child safety policy because child abuse falls in this same sort of category. To have two worker rules, to have to do background checks, to to do what we can to protect. But you know what? We can't do that everywhere. But we are doing our best. One of the reasons I'm talking about this this morning is to get it on everybody's radar so that the church of Jesus Christ is a safe place and stands distinct from the world because it's safe. And so, that's I think the first item of business for all of us as we engage this topic. The second one is to create safe structures. And what what I mean by that is just simply be wise about the way that you live. I mean, I already talked about the structures we're trying to create within the church that add safety. But here's what Proverbs says. The simple believes everything. The prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious. It turns away from evil, but the fool is reckless and careless. And so, create some Safety. Ask about safety structures at your schools, at your workplaces. Ask about that. Find because they're not perfect. No structure is going to keep people safe, but they will help if you are on a college campus, like the woman was in my newsfeed this morning. Have your wits about you. Take the lighted path. That's her story. Take the lighted path. Park your cars at safe places. Create things around you that will give you the, the best advantage. Okay? Create safe structures. But safe structures are not all... It's not going to do that, right? So find safe people. Because the structure is really only as good as the people that implement the structure. And find safe people. That is paramount, again, for the church. I don't necessarily have control over lots of other places, lots of other groups, lots of other structures where we can try and make things safe. Uh, I, uh, we do in the softball program, I'll say that. That's the only other place I really uh, am engaged with these sorts of things. But find safe people. And what, I mean, God is concerned about this as well, I will say. Okay, in Titus chapter 1, he talks about what it means to be a church leader. And he says, appoint elders in every town. And if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
His children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or uh, insubordination. An overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He's not to be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, greedy for gain. All of those you recognize are uh, abusive characteristics. To be above reproach. Hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. What God has in mind for His church is safe people who will populate and oversee safe structures. And so, one of the things that is important is, is to find safe people. You can find them inside a church. You know, I hope you can find them outside the church. But, you know, parents, help your children discern who's safe, who's not safe. Uh, if, if you don't know, help figure out and be wise about the way that you interact there. Another uh, facet of this safety is to empower those without power. And in other words, enable people to speak when they feel powerless. See, that's one of the things that is happening now. Thankfully, right? Is it Me Too has... Empower that movement has empowered people to speak up about the abuse, and so whether it's outside in the world, whether it's wherever it needs, you know, wherever it happens, speak up. I think that the church again is designed by God, and that's really all I can speak to. Uh, this is an instruction: uh, have nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If you did just that, there would never be abuse. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Speak the truth in love. If we do that, we're to grow up in Him who is the head of all things, even Christ. And notice this, from whom the whole body, that's all of us. This isn't just this responsibility of safe leaders. It is, but it's more than that. It's held together by every joint with which is equipped. When every part, that's each one of you who is part of a church, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so one of the things that's supposed to happen is each part is speaking the truth in love to others. And we're all on guard together, protecting one another, loving one another, thinking of others more highly than ourselves. And then, uh, <clears throat> this, this really would work inside the church or outside the church or wherever you encounter another person. Every person is significant and precious. And this is really where, uh, where I want to leave it uh, for now. Is just that, you know, Jesus understood this. Uh, broken power structures, broken things in the world, misuse people, hurt people. Jesus was all about doing the opposite. He's talking about um, giving people really evaluation in life of shepherding sheep and goats. And he says, then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. And so, I want to begin kind of where, or end where I began. Where we were created in God's image, male and female, He created them. That God had in mind a relationship of safety, of peace, and a harmony between people, between men and women, regardless of gender or race or age. And then you get to the words of Jesus. And because of His identification with the least of these, with the people without power, That's really what this is. The people without power. And Jesus says, when you did it, when you did good to those without power, you did it for me. And so, I know I haven't answered everything about this problem and my goodness, from just the size of it and the, the scope of it, I know that I can't. But what I want to say is that that God values every person and expects that the that the the values in His kingdom are such that those um, who are meek and poor in spirit, who mourn, are valued. That those who do exercise authority do it from a position of being last and from a position of serving. And that they do it for those who are without power to change their own situation or even to protect themselves. And when you, when you do good for them, you do it for Jesus. And so I trust that God would make us a church that will do that for one another, that will do it for the least of these outside the church walls, and will do it in a way that makes us and those around us safe and where we represent Jesus to the world in a way that uh, really that He truly is. So, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are... Um, we're humble by the radical nature of what Jesus has done for us personally, the radical nature of what He expects from us. And so, God, I pray that You would grant us grace. Father, I know that there are um, people here on, on, on both sides, people who have hurt others and have been hurt. And God, I pray that You would grant them grace and forgiveness. And Father, I pray that You would um, help us to be right and to do what is right and to stand up for those without power. And God, would You grant us grace to have backbone where we need it and grant us grace to be safe and to create safety for others. And so, Father, we love You and we thank You that there is hope one day 
that you will make these wrongs that we're experiencing, we're reading about, that are part of our lives and our histories. Father, that you will make those right. We praise you that you will make that right. And so we live with faith and we live with hope. And we ask that you would help us now and bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen.